Luke. Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel. Chapter 23. Now, well, I don't know what the dates are. Let me see if I can figure that out on this thing. And we've got five Sundays in March. And it looks like the March the 31st, they've got down here is uh, Easter Sunday. So it, it comes up different times. Sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. And that's really not, not the way it was. I mean, the Passover, and that's when Jesus died on the cross. That date has always been, you know, the Jewish date. It's the same place on the Jewish calendar. Doesn't move. Well, what, what happened there? Well, we've been teaching on that in the Trail of Blood. That's when a bunch of, bunch of men with uh, bigger opinions of themselves than they ought to have decided they could, they could direct everybody's uh, religion, and there the Bible is. There's where we get our authority, not from a bunch of men or anybody else. Uh, anyway, but then again, you see, we can't celebrate Easter. You all understand that. We cannot celebrate Easter because we know what the Bible teaches. Matthew 12 plainly says, Jesus says, there's only one sign given. And that sign is the sign of the prophet Jonah in the belly of the whale. And I don't apologize for saying whale. Is it well, a whale's not a fish? Who ever said that? Ah, fish. Fish lives in the sea. Whales live in the sea. They can't live out of the sea. A bunch of liars say that they, that whales evolved from cattle, cows. You know, that's what they say. That's what they teach. Whales evolved from cows. You know, there's no limit to what they, what idiocy that they indulge themselves in. Anyway, but Jesus said there'd be one sign, and that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, it says, as Jonah was in the bed of the whale three days and three nights. Now, if he had just said three days, then you might make a case that it was less than 24-hour days or just parts of them. But according to 
what a lot of good scholars say, just as Genesis says, and the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day. There's no way from the Hebrew or anything else that you can interpret those days of creation as less than 24-hour days or more than 24-hour days because you've got evening, morning, number. That locks it in. By the same criteria, Matthew 12, Jesus says, evening, uh, three days and three nights. Then he says elsewhere, are there not 12 hours in the day? Well, we know that's how day is broken up into day and night. And you've got 12 hours of day and you've got 12 hours of night. Well, there's 24 hours. And three of those make 72 hours. There's no way possible that you can go from Sunday morning at 6 o'clock, which that's what they all say, to Friday afternoon and get 72 hours. It, it's impossible. There's, no, there's not even any question about that. From, from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon is 24. Saturday afternoon to Sunday morning, 12. There's 36 hours. It is impossible to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by claiming that it took place in 36 hours. Because Jesus said it takes place, it took place in 72 hours. Then you look at the Bible, it says that Jesus Christ, he didn't just arise when they got to the tomb. He was already risen. And then it says very early on the first day of the week while it was still or yet dark. Well, the Jewish day uh, ran from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Or the night did. That's when their day started. So 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. the next day, that was a full cycle. 12 hours of darkness, 12 hours of daylight. That's the same as ours, just beginning at different times. Well, that puts you all the way back to sometime on Wednesday when he was put in the grave, probably somewhere immediately around 6 p.m. Because you go from Wednesday at 6 p.m. to Thursday, there's 24. Thursday to Friday, there's 48. Friday to Saturday, there's 72. So you know they put Jesus in the tomb before dark. Or right about the same time. And it gets dark right at 6 o'clock over there. In Brazil, it gets, I mean, at 6 o'clock, it'd be day, bright daylight. Until 6 o'clock and it's pitch dark. Uh, and that's the way it does on that, that level on the map close to the equator. Anyway, so 
how then does the whole world celebrate Easter and claim that Jesus died on Friday and arose on Sunday morning? The Bible won't permit that. But they do it anyway because they're going to do it all their way and not God's way. And that's what all these holidays and things are about. But for a child of God, we do care what the Bible teaches. All right. Now let's look at Luke 23. That didn't cost you anything extra. Luke 23. This is getting right down to the end. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now this is getting right to the trial of Jesus when they put him on trial. Well, these are the people that were crying Hosanna just a little bit before this. Laying down palm leaves or fronds for the donkey to tread on. Uh, look there back at chapter 20 of Luke. And look at verse 24. Jesus now... Uh, they had asked, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt you me? He knew they was asking him, trying to hook him. He says, show me a penny whose image and superscription hath it. They answered and said, Caesar's. So here's a penny that's got an image of Caesar. Now, if you've seen those old coins, and they're around, there's many of them available, they're worth a lot of money, but it had an image of Caesar on it, stamped on it. So he took that coin and he said unto them, render, give, therefore unto Caesar and unto God the things which be God's. What an answer. Now did Jesus tell them not to pay taxes to Caesar? Not at all. Anything but. He very clearly distinguished by what they should do. And look what they lied on him and said. Perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Saying that he himself is Christ a king. Those people are lying through their teeth. Ball-faced liars. And I tell you what, you've got them in this world today. You've got them lying to our kids in textbooks. You've got teachers lying to them, telling them that whales came from cows and assorted stuff as that. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Well, then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. So here's our problem. You see, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was illegal. 
Now it was necessary, not from man, but from God. But as far as man's doings, I find no fault in this man. So the judge couldn't find any offense there. Now in anybody's courtroom, that should demand that that defendant be freed. The judge can find no fault in him. Well, that's what he said. And all that bunch of liars heard it. But you see, when, they, when they're on that, that trip, they don't care. They're going to do what they're going to do. And so they were the more fierce. Huh? They even got louder. Saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all jury, beginning from Galilee to this place. Well, he'd been stirring up everybody all over it. Didn't matter what he was stirring them up about. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that, he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction. He sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him or about him, and he hoped to have seen him some, mir some miracle done by him. And the chief priest, uh, then, then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. He stood and vehemently accused him. Oh, why are you talking to him like that? This man done stirred up everybody, and he's, he's done denied Caesar and everything else. He's a traitor. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before they were at, en before they were at enmity between themselves. <clears throat> now they're getting together in an agreement over this man. And Pilate, when he had uh, called together the chief priests and the rulers, and the people said unto them, Ye, you all have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man, uh, touching those things whereof you accuse him. He's not guilty of anything you've accused him of. The second time he said it. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death, death is done unto him. Herod couldn't find anything either. He brought him back to me. I will, therefore, chastise him and release him. Why are you going to chastise him? He ain't done nothing. For of necessity, he must release one or two of them at the feast. Now we get into their traditions. And they cried all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. Well, they obviously knew about Barabbas. And he was one, he was going, he was in trouble. Who for a certain sedition made in the city. Now sedition, that would be rebellion. The word just means standing, standing against the government. And for murder, no question. Sedition and murder, that's Barabbas. That's the reason he was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, 
spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And they knew what crucifixion was. It was the most painful death that a human being could, could uh, experience. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. So even that was wrong. He had no, no call to chastise him. But he said, I'll do that to, to shut your mouth and then let him go. This is the third time he said, I find no fault in him four times with Herod saying it. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. No, we want him crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Now the hammer's done down on Jesus, the creator of the universe, the giver and sustainer of all life, him who is altogether lovely. The hammer is down. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder. Now let me tell you what, this crowd we've got today, they love murderers because they, they're getting them they're getting them across the border. They call them immigrants. They're not immigrants. They're illegal aliens. They're criminals. Something can be done about it, but they won't do anything about it. There we just got that Georgia girl in, in college. That, that illegal alien, they released him from New York. Had already been, been molesting women. And he took that girl off at campus and raped and murdered her. They got him in jail now, but they're not going to do anything to him. And that's right there. They wanted a murder, a convicted murder, proven murder. They wanted him over Jesus Christ. Well, do we live in a greatly different world? No, we do not. No, we do not. As he released unto them, him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. That is, to be carried out the will of those lying murderer abettors. And as they led him away, they laid upon, hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it, after Jesus. Now, who's this Simon? Well, he could be the same Simeon that's in Acts 13. He's a Cyrenian. Well, Cyrenia is in the northern portion of Africa. Pretty sure this was a black man. Now, some of the extremely anti-blacks Preachers, I've heard, try to say, well, he might have been from Cyrene, but he wasn't a black man. Because you see, that they had, had uh, repopulated some of it with uh, Europeans. So he probably wasn't black. No, he's probably black. Let me show you this. Hold your place there and look at Acts 13.
Acts 13, I don't know many black people know about this. They should. I've tried to tell some of them about it. Acts 13, verse 1, now there were in the church, now this is much later than where we are in Luke 23. But as we move on into the life of the Apostle Paul, there were in the church that was at Antioch, that's in, in Syria. There's another one up in Pisidia in Asia Minor, but this is the one in Syria. And there was a good church there. Uh, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger. Well, that Greek word behind that word Niger, as we say that in English, Here's how it's pronounced, and you listen to me carefully. Niger. That's the Greek, Niger. Well, it means black. So you can see where that bad word is just, it's just an elaboration of the, the original word that means black. That's what that word means. It doesn't, it, well, but they've made a slang that's a bad word out of it. And we try to avoid that word. But anyway, so... Simeon that was called black. Why would you call a man black if he wasn't black? That's his name. Simeon the black and Lucius of Cyrene. I think Simeon was of the same Cyrene that Lucius was. So Lucius and Simeon probably were black men who laid their hands on the Apostle Paul in ordaining him there at the church at Antioch. And then Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Those are all in that church at Antioch. Doesn't look like there was any segregation there, does it? Doesn't look like there was any put down of somebody because of the color of their skin. We have a lot, we had a lot to learn from Scripture, all of us did. I've learned a lot from it, and thank God for it. Anyway, so Simeon, or Simon, the Cyrenian, I am about positive he was a black man. And look there, look what he gets chosen to do. And carry the cross of the Lord. And coming out of the country. Now, I don't know whether that's coming from Cyrene or the country around uh, Jerusalem. Uh, you can't really tell from that. And on him, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Carrying the cross of Christ, helping. Well, Jesus is, he's the God man, but he's very, very man. As much man as he is God, as much God as he is man. And he was beaten within practically a pulp. And did he suffer? Oh, did he suffer? And so, he probably was getting to his last strength, last bit of strength, and he was faltering under carrying the weight of that cross. Whether it was the complete cross he was carrying, some say it was just the cross piece. I kind of believe it was the whole cross. But anyway, uh, it probably wasn't nearly as big as everybody says it was. Because lumber was at a premium. It was probably just big enough to fall down into that hole and keep, his, keep their feet above the ground. So it probably wasn't all that tall as they, as they presented in movies and all that. But at any rate, there's uh, Simon the Cyrenian carrying it. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. 
Well, there are some disciples that are with the Lord. And there they are lamenting, that's mourning, and bewailing him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, into which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Probably that means they're doing this to the Lord of glory that's right in front of you. What are they going to do when he's gone? To you all. And so he says, Weep not for me, you daughters of Jerusalem. And here's what I want to say about that. Is that Jesus does not need or want our sympathy. Well, there's lots of movies, songs that have gone out that have had people crying over Jesus' death on the cross. He says don't weep for him. He doesn't need nor want our or the world's sympathy. Unregenerate moral people think that they show their Christianity by mourning over Jesus' death. Now this coming, whenever it is, uh, Easter, uh, I don't know whether he's still alive or not. There's somebody in Jessamine County, Nicholsville, that walks around with a cross, a wooden cross, on the bottom of it. It's got a skate, a skate you know, plate because it's on wheels. But he walks around carrying that cross. What's he trying to gain sympathy? What's he done? Uh, in the Philippines, there, there are those that actually nail themselves on a cross. Uh, Catholics, that they do that trying to show all this sympathy. Way back years ago, you had that, uh, that uh, play and movie, Jesus Christ Superstar. And if you listen to the words of all that, that was trying to gain sympathy for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not need nor want our sympathy. Now, the people that did that, they faced the responsibility for what they did. But the Bible very much teaches us that Jesus was not there by accident. Look at Revelation 13. They didn't slip up on the blind side of God and grab a hold of Jesus. The first reason for that is God doesn't have a blind side. Verse 8, chapter 13, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names Talking about the Antichrist there. Of course, there's some preachers say there's not going to be an Antichrist. Yes, there's going to be. Uh, they, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. That's who's going to fall for the Antichrist. And that's going to be lots of people. But the book of life of the Lamb, when was it slain from? The foundation of the world. 
In other words, the crucifixion of Christ, everything that Jesus Christ suffered in, in his body, on the tree and before he got to the tree, all of that, that was predestinated by God before the world ever was. So he didn't come to that cross by accident. This is, on the, this is the purpose of Almighty God, planned by God before the foundation. And then John's Gospel, chapter 10. I don't mean to turn you all over the place, but I'd like you to see what it says. John, chapter 10. <clears throat> Look at uh, verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's hardly them slipping up on his blind side. That's hardly an accident. And he said, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, and I'm thankful he's got that there. Because I'm one of those sheep, are you? Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. Looks to me like he's got the whole thing under control. No man taketh it, that is my life, from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. This is all working from the plan of God, the eternal decree of God Almighty. This is all part of it. So this nothing accidental about this. Now, this doesn't call for sympathy. Now, I hate to think about all what he suffered, but he did it for me, and had he not done it, I would have no hope. Eternal hell would be all I could look at because I can't keep the law. I've already broken the law, and I don't even know how much I've broken it. That's why I'm thankful God doesn't tell me to repent of my sins and believe. He didn't tell me to do that. He said, repent. And believe. Big difference there. I can't possibly repent of all my sins. I don't even know what they are. When, where, and how. And how many. I don't know all that. But the repentance that God requires. Is a complete change of mind towards God. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Christ tells us. In John 10. That he laid down his life. For his sheep. Didn't say goats. Said sheep. His people. That's why he did that. He didn't do it by accident. They didn't slip up on, any, on God's blind side. Because there's no blind side to slip up on. Anything they did. It was beforehand. It, it was not possible. That he should be holding of death. Even though they with wicked hands took him. And crucified him and slay him. It was not possible that he should be holding of death. The really saved rejoice at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the gospel. Now, he laid down his, himself freely. 
He was in the will of God. Look at Isaiah 53 real quick. Now I read a little thing the other day. It comes up on that email. A quora or something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Stay away from it. Quora. Q-U-O-R-A. Stay away from it. He may have some good things every now and then. But he, but he is absolutely an atheist a, a, and a Bible hater. And uh, the stuff he puts up there. Look at Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, the arm of the Lord there is Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, who's believed it? Who's had that arm? Jesus Christ revealed to them. And when I get there, if I, as soon as I see Isaiah, hey, brother, I believed it. I believe what you said. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Now, you know, you look at a dry ground and there's a root of a plant coming up out of that. You know that root. Even though it looks good there, it's not going to have a final good ending. He had no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Christ. That thing I was talking about, that quora. He said, oh, this is not talking about Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. Look what they did to him there. When they lied on him. Bald faced lied on him. And then in full knowledge of what they were doing. They chose a, a convicted murderer, sedition, guilty of sedition and murder. They chose him repeatedly over Jesus Christ, and yet they knew without a doubt that he had done nothing wrong. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He's not talking about physical healing there. As the holiness grab onto it and say. <clears throat> Jesus did not die on a cross so I can get well from my sicknesses. Because even though I get well from this and what I'm going to do about the next one. He'll heal you this time. There's going to come a time that you're not going to be healed. And if that's what Jesus died for, he was an abject failure. But he's not an abject failure. And the healings he's talking about are the healings as our uh, wounds for sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's the cross. There's the message of the cross. Not that we should cry for him. That we understand that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's sin. Iniquity is sin. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Why didn't he open his mouth? Because if you're guilty, you cannot, you don't have any plea except guilty. And he became guilty with all of the abominations of my sins. He took my place on the cross of Calvary. If you're saved, he took yours. And you ought to recognize that's what he did. And that's the one that you must trust for what he has done. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. That means he died. He didn't swoon as they try to lie. He died. Literally died as dead can be. The son of God, the creator of this world, died on the cross of Calvary. And it was because of the transgression of my people was he stricken. For their sins, not for his, he had none. Pilate and Herod proved it. And he made his grave with the wicked. Well, those two thieves on either side of him, they died. And with the rich in his death, there's the tomb that he was in. He had to borrow a tomb. He didn't have one. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. He was, there's the crime of the cross of Jesus Christ. There was no crime committed when those two thieves were crucified. When, when a legitimate court proves a man or a woman is guilty of capital crime and they're executed, there's no crime committed there. And I hear these idiots, yeah, they're worse than idiots, they're demons, call themselves preachers trying to say that capital punishment is, is a sin. No, it's not sin. Matter of fact, God said, Whoso sheddeth a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. But the crime of the cross is that they knowingly put innocent blood to death. Now, if you know somebody is innocent and you convict them and you execute them, you're a murderer. But yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. There you are. If you're saved, there you are on the cross of Calvary. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. What's he dying for? Uh, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Not an accident that he's there, folks. He's there by a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. And we can honestly say that redemption, that is redeeming his people from their sins, was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Amen. So, it's not an accident. It was on purpose. 
Weep not for me, you daughters of Jerusalem, but rather weep for yourselves. This is in the will of God. Jesus uh, was in the will of Jesus. Nothing or no one could have stopped him, and yet they were all responsible for the wickedness that they did. And Satan tried, well, Satan tried to stop him all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Cain butchered his brother Abel because Abel was a lion that Jesus Christ has come through, and he killed him. Cain of that wicked one, Satan. And God raised up another one, Seth, and that's where the lion came through. But all through history, Satan tried to stop the Son of God from doing what he did. Pharaoh tried when he demanded all Jewish babies, firstborn, be killed. Herod tried it in Matthew 2. But for me, I'm glad that Jesus did what he did. I take no delight in the pleasure, in the uh, punishment that Jesus Christ experienced for me. I take no delight in that. But that was my punishment. And he is the propitiation, the substitute for me. And had I not had that substitute, I'd have eternal hell looking me in the face. Because I've done nothing to deserve what I've got. That's why it's all by the grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. And the grace of God is manifest here like nowhere else. Atonement was made or redemption. Satisfaction was made. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? He satisfied the justice and the wrath of Almighty God for all of my sins and the sins of all of his people, all of them. There was no other way. Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, because he's a man, though he's a God-man, yet he knew what he was about. He knew what he was going to face. And he said, Father, if there be any other way, but this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but as thou wilt. And I believe he literally sweat great drops of blood there in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was facing. I just It's beyond my imagination. Death. He had to face death. We had, I hate death. I'm thankful the Bible tells us that the last enemy that shall be put down is death. I hate it. Death takes your loved ones away from you. It always does. You say, well, we're going to stop it. Well, you listen to some politicians. You go, we're going to stop cancer. Well, if it's not cancer, it'll be something else. I mean, you know, what are you going to stop? Well, I appreciate the hospital. I appreciate doctors doing what they can. I appreciate pills and medicines and all that. But you're finally not going to have a pill to to ease your situation. Sometime you're going to close your eyes in death. Every one of us are unless the Lord comes back. It's appointed unto man once to die. Amen. But after this, the judgment. 
Well, what are you going to do in the judgment, Brother Gum? Well, I'm going to, before the Lord, I'll say, Jesus, my Savior, he satisfied your justice on the cross and tasted death for every man because he arose 72 hours later. Anyway, death could not hold him. It was not possible. Look at John uh, Acts 2 real quick. Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that whosoever doesn't mean everybody in the world. It just means whosoever in the world, Jew or Gentile. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles. Isn't that what Herod was hoping to see? And wonders and signs which God did by him. In the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, you witnessed these miracles. You should have known who he was. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's how he got here. All according to the eternal decree, the will of God. You all have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. There's your responsibility. There's God's sovereignty and there's responsibility of man. And listen, follow this out. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. There's his resurrection. Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. Paul said that you may know him. And the power. Of his resurrection. <laughs> it's what we're talking about here. Death could not hold him. It was not possible. So back. Weep. For yourselves. What's that mean? Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And then he tells them in the next three verses. Unless you're saved, you've got a whole lot to face. And really, all the troubles you've got to face in this world, say, well, at least they'll have peace when they die. Not if you're not saved. If you're not in Jesus Christ by faith, whatever you're facing in this world is nothing compared to what you're going to face throughout all eternity. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but that's truth. The smoke of their torment shall ascend up forever and ever. 
the rich man in Luke 16. He lived, he died. He's rich. But in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. And that's what the world has to face. Mm. Your children? Look at 2 Timothy 3 and I'll be done. Folks, we, we want the best for our children, I know that. But the best for our children is that you raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the best for your children. Well, I'm going to get them a good education so they can get a good job and make a lot of money. Well, the rich man had a good job and he made a lot of money. But he died. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. Coming to. He said, verse 12, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what our lot in life is. Look at old, old Lazarus. He never had a good day in his life. But, he said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What do you think is going on in our world today? You've got college professors teaching kids that they need to worship the sun. Lawrence, whatever his name is, uh, I can't think of his last name now, Lawrence something or other, that's what he teaches his class. Go ahead and worship the sun. That, that uh, black uh, astronomer, he says the same thing. I uh, can't never think of his name. Got three names. Anyway, but here's, here's what he tells us. That from a child, or no, but verse 14 there, but continue thou in all things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And then he says, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. We've got the truth right here between Genesis and Revelation. This is the English translation of the Word of God. I know you've got all of them telling you about all the versions. I, I showed Derek this morning four verses in the so-called authorized standard version of 1901 that they said it's the most accurate translation. It denies the virgin birth of Christ. It denies blood atonement. And three or four other things. And that just, just looking at it just briefly. All of these trans... We've got the word of God here. Amen. Have no problem reading it. And it tells you exactly what has been, what is, and what's coming. And so weep not for Jesus and his, all of his sufferings. Rather weep for ourselves. But if you're not saved, repent and believe the gospel.